Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie and Nikisha, where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. Hello, hello, welcome. welcome. Hello, hello, welcome. High fives for everyone on the, <laughs> on the interwebs. <laughs> so today is going to be a very interesting day. I'm so excited to discuss this particular movie with you guys, uh, because this is also my first time seeing this. But we're oh. talking about, oh yeah. This was your first time? This is my first time. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it's been on my list for so long and it's been like on different streaming platforms. So then I would like add it to my watch list and then mm-hmm. never got to it. So I'm very excited that um, I got to watch it for this podcast. We are talking, of course, about the 2019 British psychological horror film, St. Maud. I did everything. Everything I changed, didn't I? I thought I did what you told me to do, didn't I? Please. Please don't let me fall. I'm begging you. I'll do anything. Please. Guide me. So... Right. Cue creepy organ, religious, Catholic music in the background. Yeah, right. Yes, all the above. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie is written and directed by Rose Glass in her feature directorial debut. And in watching a tiny snippet of an interview with uh, Miss Glass, apparently she wrote this while she was still in film school and then eventually um, it got picked up to where that she could actually produce this movie but it was so cool that this was a concept that she had for a very long time and I'm very glad that someone picked it up in order for it to come into fruition so this movie start films uh morphid Clark morphid Clark I don't, I don't know why I want to say it in like an <laughs> Irish accent well, but it's, <laughs> it's Welsh and it's like it's like morphid it's a very Morphous. interesting name. Oh, it's like M O R F U H T H. I don't know why I had D in there. Maybe it was Wikipedia, or maybe my just mistyping on it. But it also sounds very Irish to me, so mm. I like it. Well, it stars her as well as uh, Jennifer L. I want to say this. It says E H L E. So I'm going to say L. You ever seen yeah. Pride and Prejudice? Yes. The BBC version. No, only the Karen Knightley version. That's the only oh. one I will acknowledge ever in life. Wait, really? The BBC yes. one is incredible. I mean, the Karen Knightley one is great, but yes. the the BBC one is like is is top tier. Like that's the one. That's definitively like the best one for sure. Okay, and she stars in that one. Yes, and she stars in that one. Yes, that's why I bring it up. I'm not just casually not talking it. about Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I mean, you can... whatever you can. <laughs> right, I'm and fine Morf- with that. And Morpheth. Uh, Clark um, is in um, Rings of the Power, Rings right? of Power. Yeah, she's Galadriel in the Rings of Power TV show. 
I've never heard of that TV show in my life. The Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's the Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. Fantastic. Uh, well, I mean, she was wonderful in this. I'm sorry, I I know nothing about Lord of the Rings, uh, so doing great. <laughs> yes, but I mean, she's great in this, so I can only imagine that she's wonderful oh, yeah. in, the, in the TV show as well. Well, we're not talking about Lord of the Rings. We're not talking about Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> we're talking about Saint Maude. <laughs> So spoilers, heavy spoilers for uh, St. Maud and Jamie run us through all those trigger warnings because there are a lot. Oh, my God. This may be oh the most boy. trigger warning movie we've covered. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a lot of religion in this. So if that is not for you, just right off the bat, starting there, um, there are like references to homophobia, sexuality, like orgasming. Um, there's assault that happens. There's death. Um, it focuses on like cancer and palliative care. Uh, there's a lot of self-harm, yep. uh, like a lot, um, that also like is interwoven with religion. Uh, and I'm trying to think if I missed anything. There's some alcohol, some partying, uh, partying. some references to to being paid for sex, maybe, perhaps, Perhaps. some exchange, perhaps. Uh, Yeah, I think, I'm like, what else is there? Oh, and murder. There is murder. (laughs) Murder, murder. Murder. A little little Satan, maybe, perhaps. Of course. Mm. Oh, yes. Fire. Fire, fire, like, yes, like yeah, yes, yeah, suicidal fire, I guess. A lot of body burns. Ooh. Yeah, brimstone. Picking, picking fire at brimstone. scabs. Yeah, Ugh. scab picking, scab picking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good old scab picking. Good old <laughs> scab picking. <laughs> okay, well, before we get into all of that, because that already is. So much, <laughs> producer Brian. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, something I do want to say before we go into words is that I think that Rose Clark directed a spectacular movie, and I want to see more work by her so bad, but we haven't really gotten anything. Um, at the seventy fourth British Academy Awards, um, she was nominated for outstanding British film, outstanding debut by a British writer, director, or producer, like. Yeah, I'm just. I just want more from her. This this was at that was at Toronto in 2019. It was released in 2020. Like this movie is so so good, and this movie is so much better the second time, in my opinion. Um, and that being said, you can see all of our interesting takes on YouTube. If you're not just listening, uh, hey YouTube, how are you? How are YouTube? Um, and then uh, of course, uh, you can find us on social media at talk horror pod, wherever you're on social media, we are including TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it is threads. Uh, so just follow us on all those places, um, there. So yeah, that is, that is what I have to say about that. Fantastic. Yeah. Follow us on all of those and watch us on the YouTubes. So you can see me wearing this hat because I am hiding a big gash in my forehead because oh, no. a- what happened? The shower head just fell on top of my head. So there's a huge knot on my foot. Oh my God. What? Are you okay? 
I guess we're here. We're going to see if I'm coherent during this. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's Please don't crazy. have a concussion. Who knows, Jamie? You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what that's happens. Spooky. Very spooky. But my hat also says dead inside. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> we're just going with the flow here. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Brian, before we started recording, you mentioned that you had watched something new. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so two things. One, I started to watch Marianne on Jamie's suggestion, the French horror TV show on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, I've watched the first two episodes. It's fantastic. I can't wait to keep going with it. It, Essentially, it is about a French writer who has been writing horror books uh, for her whole career uh, based on this one character and this one entity, Marianne, that kind of like keeps coming back. Um, She decides to stop writing um, the books um, for whatever reasons um, she's done with that character. She's done with all of that. Um, but possibly by stopping, it kind of released the actual demon ghost entity um, onto her hometown, which she hasn't been to in a while. So she reluctantly essentially goes back and chaos ensues. Um, I'm re- it's really scary. Um, it's really, really interesting. So I'm super excited to keep going uh, with it. Nice. That just reminds me of you talking about just a TV show. There is a Hulu original TV show that is about to come out. I want to say it's called, and I might be paraphrasing, The Other Black Girl. But it's set in this office. And it's there's this one Black girl who's an assistant uh, to the boss. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one that um, comes in and works at the same company. But apparently there's like mischief and things that are happening like within the company so i think it's just kind of like a thriller uh horror but it should be coming out pretty soon it's a hulu original that's I'm very cool excited about that um yeah that's super cool i also watched mother may i mm-hmm. never seen that um yeah so this stars our favorite horror king kyle gallner um mm-hmm. and holland roden this was directed by lawrence vanicelli um I think it was direct to digital, but I, I rented it and watched it. Um, it's weird. It's really <laughs> weird. And I think I really liked it. Um, I'm still processing it. There's a lot. It's not straightforward. There's a lot that you need to decide for yourself as a viewer based on some of the clues they've given you. Um, um, essentially, this man and his fiance um, go to collect the house that his mother left him um, when she passed away, um, he has a very distant relationship, basically like non-existent with the mother. And then the wife starts acting like the mother. Um, and mm. and like you have to be and then, you know, like, is it a possession movie? Is it not like there's a lot of things that unfold that you have to figure out while you're watching it. But I thought the performances were excellent and electric. It actually has a lot to do with therapy. It has a lot to do with like tools of therapy. Maybe one day we should actually cover it because it's freaking fascinating. Um, mm. I don't think it's everybody's cup of tea. It's pretty slow. I think it gets repetitive at some points, but I happen to really dig it and I'm still thinking about it. So mother may I. Nice. Yeah. Let's add it to the, to the list of yeah. things mm-hmm. to cover. Uh, but I have never heard of that, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it was good. I would, I would suggest it. I think it's interesting enough that even if you hate it, you you'll get something out of the watch. Yeah. Well, here's a quick question for the both of you. Do you prefer movies that leave you to your own interpretation or do you like things or specifically in the horror movie genre, of course, right. um, 
or movies that like it they tell it exactly how it how it is like there is no other interpretation of it like which do you prefer I don't know I I feel like it depends on the context because sometimes like sometimes I think it's fun to kind of like go on your own journey but other times I do really just like want to know like just tell me give it to me (laughs) just talk to me please let me know yeah no be careful um (laughs) yeah i agree with jamie it's completely contextual and it's also subjective because like some people um i really like movies that give you a solid ending but i also some of my favorite movies are very open-ended um and Mm -hmm. i think it really just depends on what it's actually trying to do um this is uh, it's funny that we're talking about this because um with the saint mod that we're talking about today because it leads you to believe you're going to get a one type of ending and then you and then it, it 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 unequivocally tells you exactly what type of ending it is um so i thought that was fascinating that we're talking about that but like um what's a good uh, example uh um have you all seen inception no <laughs> okay great so bad example um <laughs> but um yeah i it really just dep- uh you ever seen sideways no Mm-mm. great um this is going great for me um but anyway it's just contextual if 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 the story is complete and like you don't need certain pieces of information to like get the story complete or like if it's just in the eye of the beholder and it's well directed and well written then that's perfectly okay with me but like if clearly like something feels like it's missing to like to to finish the narrative um or at least leave you you it leaves you with too many questions to be able to like interpret the themes and the character arcs and stuff like that then i'm just like what 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 this was missing like a whole 20 minutes or something like that yeah no i agree uh i was trying to think of movies as well that fits that bill of like your own interpretation of exactly what happens i think um the movie us kind of teeters that line of like you kind of realizing what is the ending how do the people get to where they they are now? Like, what's the general, you know, um, a lot of just things open for, or at least as, as opposed to everyone was asking like, well, what does this represent, you know, to Jordan Peele? And he was like, well, what is whatever you wanted to, to represent, mm-hmm. you know, it isn't just a, even though there is a clear like ending, what the, for lack of a better word, metaphor for it all is, is up to interpretation. Um mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, let's get into St. Maud, which is, this is exactly why I brought up that question, Brian, is because this movie kind of teeters that line as well of like, what do you believe is actually happening as opposed to, you know, like, how can we have a, like, a logistical answer to how Maud is uh, perceiving all of these different things that are happening around her? Um, So let's get into it. We need a two-minute plot summary, and I think last time we just made sure that it was dedicated to producer Brian. So, forever. Yeah. Forever. 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 <laughs> okay. What's the plot? <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's my turn to do the plot summary. I am ready. I am excited. Let's, let's do this. Who is going to... Time me, Jamie is excellent. Yes, indeed. Fantastic. Let me know when 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 Maud and I can roll with the punches. All right. So, producer Brian, I have two minutes on the clock for you to give us your your shortest and best explanation of what the hell Saint Maud is about. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Ready. Set. Go. Okay. So we open up in a hospital where something has gone wrong um and we see our main character sitting in a corner we get in a spectacular title card um and then we learn that um 
Maud um, is uh, just got a new job working as basically a hospice nurse um, for this famous ballerina who is dying of cancer, stage four, terminal. Um, what we learned is that Maud is very religious, I believe Roman Catholic, um, and she is uh, basically um, she is at odds in terms of what they believe with the person she's taking care of. She, the person they're taking care of, is more open, free, more hedonistic, if you will, from Maud's perspective, um, and then Maud is very conservative um, in that way. Um, so they're at odds a little bit. They kind of get along, but they start to find a common ground. Um, and 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 Amanda, the ballerina, tells Maude that she's her savior, whether it's tongue-in-cheek or not. Um, and Maude takes that to heart and now thinks that this is her lot in life to basically save this person. Um, long story short, Maude, and we'll talk about what actually happens, but Maude feels either jealous or protective of her. Maybe she's falling in love with her. We don't know. Um and um, essentially, um, things get out of hand. They make fun of her but for being St. Maud because Maud asks Amanda's girlfriend to never come back so she can focus on being, um, you know, religious and, and coming to God. Um, long story short, she slaps her. She gets fired. Um, and then, oh, I'm, I'm, I really botched this. Um, <laughs> she gets fired. Um and essentially relapses. What we do is we find out that she had a life beforehand where she was a nurse at a hospital. We think that she gave CPR too hard or something and like had a very traumatic experience where she killed a patient while she was trying to save a patient. Um, her real name is Katie. Um, and she essentially decides that and she relapses. Um, she had, she has one of her wild nights where she's sleeping around and then, um, she comes back and realizes to come back to God. She's, she's self mutilating herself throughout the movie movie she gets this vision she has to go to um and she decides to go to amanda um uh, essentially trying to convert her again long story short she kills amanda and then burns herself um to get closer to god we don't really know exactly what happened because it, it's an unreliable narrator situation but the movie ends with us definitively knowing that she is burning alive and that's the plot <laughs> which wow what a shot of her burning alive it just reminded me of the well i guess spoiler for midnight mass i won't say who but it just reminded me of midnight mass and i'll sure. leave it at that mm-hmm. great well let's get into it with our first segment of likes and gripes and now our likes and gripes so jamie would you like to go first with your likes and gripes sure um i believe this is the second time I've seen this movie because I think I only ever watched it with Brian and we watched it once before. Mm-hmm. So second watch. Um, I really like this movie. Um, it's it's very wild. And it is really, Brian, I think alluded to this earlier, just like the second watch is really interesting because, and, and I'm sure Nikisha, you can talk more about this, but like in the first watch, it's just like, you're trying to like, you're like, okay, you're, you're bought into this like religious person and like her mission and and what's going on. But when you finish this film, <laughs> you're kind of just like, what the fuck? And so rewatching it now, I have such a hyper awareness into like who, who Katie is. Cause that's really, that's what her actual name is. Um, and I, I don't think that she's like, she, she has a lot of narcissistic qualities. Like she's, her ego is pretty big. She's viewing herself Hmm. as this like 
he, uh, this is my perception of this. And I don't yeah. know if, and you don't have to agree. I just was watching this and I was like, the way that she's talking about like herself versus other people is really interesting because like she's viewing herself as, as this like savior and yeah. she's taking it upon herself to, you know, identify someone that is vulnerable and in need. And she's like, I'm going to save them. So there's this like inflated ego, this inflated sense of self and like her role in the world. Um, I will but, can I add to that oh, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's so great that you brought that up because I didn't even think about like narcissism in the mix. Sure. But mm-hmm. even when she is talking about the town that she's in and she's like, why would this beautiful ballerina like move to this crappy town? Like, I don't even want to be in this like crappy mm-hmm. town. So, I mean, that's just a, that's a great word to put on it because I'd never even connected those two things. Yeah. It's it like, I, I just felt so much more aware of like her inner like monologue and how she was talking about like everyone else. Um, and like, she makes comments kind of in the later like midway point where she gets fired from her job and like her whole life is kind of going downhill and she's just Mm -hmm. like you know I did every like talking to God like I did everything that you wanted me to do but why is this still happening to me like her inability to kind of like see her own role and why she's in the situation that she's in that that feels narcissistic like she can't accept Mm. the responsibility of like she like slapped a patient. Like that's not, there's no way that that's going to be okay. Um, even if her patient, like, even if this wasn't the situation that her patient was in, if anybody mm-hmm. slaps any patient, like this, there's going to be a problem here. So right. like, <laughs> you know, it, that part, but I mean, very early on, what I like about this movie is like, we're not really getting reality. Like Brian also said, like this is an unreliable narrator because very early in the beginning of the movie, when she gets connected with her patient, her patient says to her, no one sees what they don't want to. So basically we're already, Mm. we are, we just got the theme of this whole movie Mm -hmm. that like everything that we're seeing through Maude's eyes is like not based in reality. Like she, Oh, sorry. I want to add to that um, mm-hmm. just from a cinematic standpoint, um, the many sequences in this movie only show it from Maud's point of view, meaning like only showing her on camera. So in that argument before she slaps her at the birthday party or the party or whatever it is, um, you only see amanda's face for maybe 25 percent of that conversation so you only see her actually saying words for 25 percent of that whole time so that means that 75 percent of that conversation is just focused on maude and her ear so like i question if if she's actually saying these things i'm not i'm not defending Mm -hmm. amanda i think amanda is still being mean-spirited towards her Mm -hmm. but like how much of that is maude kind of like building up in her own system because she's putting her own insecurities and feelings on this person. So like yeah. Maud gets does Maud get more riled up like cinematically? I think that's fascinating to kind of justify and validate what Jamie's saying. Yeah. No, I <clears throat> I even wrote down like the the movie itself is skewed to her perspective both narratively mm-hmm. but also like through cinematography. So like it really is reiterating like we're only seeing what Maud wants us or uh I forgot now I forgot her real name, Katie. Katie. Um, we're only seeing what she wants us to see. We're not seeing 
reality. Um, So I think that's really interesting. There's also like another thing that I feel like feeds into the ego is like when she, even though a lot of it is based on like self-inflicted pain, her, her mission, I'll say like, if she feels like she's not benefiting, she turns her back. So like she only in the first half when she, she, she's doing this because she wants to be the savior. She wants to save Amanda's soul. And like, if she feels like her mission is, is successful, like she, she felt like she was successfully turning away her, her girlfriend or like whoever that person was. Um, she felt like, you know, uh, when she prays over Amanda and then Amanda is like responding positively to it in the same way that she is, where it's like almost orgasmic, she feels like her mission is working and like it's worth it. But when everything falls apart and she gets fired from her job and like she's at the bar and like, you know, can't connect with anybody, which I also feel like is a really important piece Mm. too, is like her inability to connect socially with anybody else. Like she turns her back on her belief system. She's like this diehard, like, you know, Catholic in the, in the first half of the movie. But then when it doesn't serve her anymore, she, she turns away from it and like goes the complete opposite direction. Right. Like she returns to this, I guess like she formally led a, a more hedonistic lifestyle, but like, man, she turned on the dime and went right back to it because like, you know, she's lost, but also it feels more like, she's not getting something out of it. And like, that's why she's not participating. Like that's, that's at least my perception where like, it feels so self-serving that when it's no longer serving her, which like, you know, if you have a belief system, like I, I personally don't think that faith is about getting something out of it. That's the whole point because like, there's no guarantee you're, there's hope that that is what faith is. So it's like, if you aren't directly benefiting from it and then you stop like what does that say about you so like I just think that that's really interesting that like you know she has that experience and then she like goes back and prays one last time and she's like please like I'm begging you guide me again and then like starts throwing up and then sees the um the fireworks and then like we Mm -hmm. see her get lifted up and it's just like what's happening in that moment who knows, but like, yeah. we're, cause we're only getting her side, but it's just so fascinating. And, um, yeah. So that's that all that to say that, like, I just find on second viewing, like her, she's very unlikable because of that to me, but still very compelling to watch. Cause it's just like, what, what's happening here. Um, and so then the other half of me outside of like, you know, focusing on her character is like, what's going on with her mental health, which I will hold that for later. But other things that I thought was interesting and I still don't fully understand, there's a lot of like references to drains and I Mm -hmm. didn't really know why. I don't know if anybody else has any other, like has any explanation as to like why we kept getting drains, why we kept seeing things like, we saw a lot of that like spiralings like mm-hmm. uh, imagery too because she saw it in the beers at the bar. She saw it in the sky before she self-immolated. Like, so I don't know if those things were connected, but I didn't get what the drains was. So I have a couple of things to say based on what you just said. The first thing is that I, 
the drains were interesting because you, like you said, you have all that, but you also had a ton of mouth and, um, and eating. And like, mm. so to me, it was about things going in. So mm. like, you know, you had all of the sex, so you have things going in. She describes, she describes seeing God and feeling God essentially as an orgasm, you know, like this idea of like filling up on something. Um, and I think that that had a lot to do with it. That imagery of like things going in the pleasures of life in terms of like, you know, the biggest pleasures of, of, being a person is probably like things physical pleasures are things going in and things coming out um and there's a lot of that in this movie in different ways so mm-hmm. i think that that has to do kind of with like that bodily sensation um maybe i don't know um i think that's one read on it obviously i think there could be sure. a lot of them i mean that makes sense with the bodily sensations because she's so fixated on pain in particular, mm-hmm. like between like the orgasmic sensation she's getting from like feeling God, but like then on the flip side, this like deep pain that she's inflicting on herself all the time that like that's also an intense physical sensation that she's seeking. Yeah. And and all that physical pain is put on what one when she's fired um, you know, anytime that she feels like she needs to punish herself because of something mm-hmm. that happened or whatnot, you see a lot of that. Um, you know, the burning of her hand on the stove, um, uh, and uh things like that. But um uh the other thing, oh, the other thing I want to mention is some of the two most telling sequences in this movie are when she makes the phone call to the friend Joy. You know, not a mistake that the friend's name was Joy. Um but like the, that she calls her and she has that line where it's like, I was surprised when you were like, when you, when you asked me for a drink, because like you and the other girls weren't like that nice to me or, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is when she tries, she laughs and tries to be a part of the other tables conversation. That to me, those so are so uncomfortable. I know. And so sad. And like, like this movie is very sad and Mm -hmm. um and i think that those two moments were telling because what something i love 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 about this movie and i'll i'll after this i'll I'll, nikisha i want to hear your likes and gripes um and we'll come back to mine later but um i love that this movie lets us as an audience fill in the blanks of how she became religious this movie Mm -hmm. is not about watching her change her ethics or her style or 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 um her belief system, I should say, but like, we know something tragic happened. She had a total change of who she believes and was into the other piece of that. And I think that's like, absolutely uh, some of the magic of this movie. Um, yeah, that's all. Yeah. I think all these are, are great points because uh, like I mentioned before, this is my first time watching it. So I didn't know exactly what to expect Mm -hmm. I will say that I enjoyed the fact that this movie had a lot more tension building um, in the first maybe hour or so before like Shively hits the fan at the end. And then there's, you know, the stabbing and, you know, her self-inflicting like with the burning, like we had mentioned before. But I want to say one of my favorite absolute scenes was Joy inside of her apartment Mm. because I just knew that she was going to die. <laughs> um, and I think that was some really great tension uh, building and uh, from um, Rose Glass in, in the sense of like this person really trying to connect back with Maude mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, Maude is just like in her own little world because she's like, 
I'm going through my purpose. Like I really don't care anymore. So it's such a, a, a juxtaposition from when she's trying to be included, like we said, with the friends in the bar. Yeah. And then there's somebody who is trying to be her friend. And she's like, well, I'm past all that now. Like I don't need any yeah, of that. Yeah. Like I know exactly what I'm supposed to, to do now. Um, so I think it's, it's also a really great representation of uh, something that um, Jamie had mentioned earlier about religion and like the prize at the end, you know, like everything that you are doing is because you want something in the end. Like there's, and that's your only motivation for it. Not necessarily doing good because doing good is good. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. because you want something for yourself in the end. So your motivations are already uh, tainted. And I like uh, how they really kind of present that because, um, that's a, what a lot of religions kind of like um, mask in a sense. It's like you're thinking about, um, oh, you're doing all this good stuff. But every time it's like, well, it's because you don't want to go to hell. You know, it's because you don't. And there's a great line where she talks about, like, if you're inflicting pain on me and I've done all this, I can't even imagine what you're doing with people who don't believe in you. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I, I just really loved all of um that uh interjection of how people can be in in religion even though i'm sure this movie is not solely based uh on just like the religious perspective and even in watching that interview uh with rose she toggled with the idea of uh the movie just being the inner voice and mod back and forth but then she was like well no that's just a little too kind of like tongue-in-cheek of like god around all the time so Mm -hmm. she was like well let's just have the perspective of like mod just being always influenced by this voice and so it makes sense when you see the scenes where um you can see mod kind of like listening to something but like nobody's talking and then she'll like go on and and uh do whatever so i really uh enjoyed that um back and forth i loved the shot of her floating in the middle of the apartment complex i thought Mm -hmm. that was um beautiful and then the imagery of the the wings um Mm -hmm. as she was about to after she did kill uh what is the ballerina's name i don't know why Um, i forgot amanda amanda Amanda, thank you i literally just watched the movie today (laughs) amanda uh (laughs) and um yeah i just uh I just think a lot of these shots are just so are are so gorgeous. But mm-hmm. when I say the most the scariest, aside from the tension with Joy inside the apartment complex, mm-hmm. was also like that devil pop out of Amanda that got me. Oh like, yeah, ah, yeah. Oof. Um, but I'm glad that Brian uh, brought up the term unreliable narrator because then that it all makes sense of like this is just her perspective and. Mm-hmm. Amanda might have said those words of like, it's just you and me, there's nothing. But then that brought out what um, Maude wanted to see of like, oh, this is just the the devil like tricking me. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not going to take in what you're saying because it's not you, it's the devil. And that, that's also like a pinpoint in the religious kind of thing of like, yeah. oh no, that's not you talking. That's the devil using you to, 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 to do the things, you know? Well, in that scene, the first line that Amanda says where it's like, oh, Maude, I'm so happy to see you or whatever that first line is, we don't see Amanda say it. We only see mm-hmm. Maude listening to it. So, like, again, mm-hmm. what wh- what is she imagining? What is she? I, I don't know the answer to that. But also yeah. something I do like about this movie and we talk about rules a lot. And what makes it Mm -hmm. a really good second viewing is that the rules for this movie are explicitly told to you in that last second. 
So now you have to go back and apply the rules, meaning that like that last split second, that 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 smash cut of her actually burning on the beach to me is mm. like that is just like, oh, reality is reality. You need to watch this movie from a reality perspective. And like Maud is, is in a totally different plane of reality, like moving mm. forward through it. So like, that's why I enjoyed this even more the second time, because I could apply those rules and scenes and see things that I absolutely would never have considered seeing the first time through because the rules were only presented at the end of the movie. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. great. I have to think about that next time when I go back and watch it, cause this is definitely something that I would like suggest to other people and watch them watch it uh, again. I, and the last thing I'll say about my likes and gripes, I didn't really have any gripes uh, about this movie. I thought it was very straightforward in what um, the storyline was. And mm-hmm. I think that the acting was wonderful. Uh, the mm-hmm. cinematography was uh, wonderful. I love the idea of like possessive behaviors and mm-hmm. it makes me think like, was Maude slash Katie always a, just a possessive type of person? And that's something that kind of like mm. ruined her relationships because even with her relationship with God, it's kind of like a, you're supposed to be helping me, paying attention to me, helping me do these things. Like, and it doesn't really get, I don't know. It's just the the idea of her being possessive, not only in her like relationship with God, but like with her relationship with Amanda it's me and Amanda. And then it makes me think like, it was that kind of her relationship with her previous patients, which why, mm. which is why it hits so hard. Oh, interesting. Whenever the, I, the first patient in the beginning of the shot, you know, dies. Um, so yeah, it's, it was just cool to see kind of that narrative through this, uh, this story as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's all my likes and gripes, Brian. Um, yeah. I'll start with my one gripe. I think I wanted to know exactly what happened at her in the hospital. Um, Hmm. I think that's the only blank I didn't want to really fill in for myself. Um, I think we're supposed to assume. So what I, my idea in my head is that she was like still a loner uh, at the hospital. Katie was Um, people kind of made fun of her, potentially saw her as a troubled person, Um, you know, going out, maybe coming to work, hung over, like all of that kind of stuff. Cause joy does say like, if I had known that you were going through this, like I would have like done something or said something to me, sure. Joy's Joy's connection and visit is out of pure guilt um, for how mm-hmm. she treated her beforehand. And she finally saw her and was like able to like potentially make herself feel better again, more, 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 more about taking than giving potentially. So I wanted to know a little bit more, like, was she so troubled um, that um, although the flashbacks while she's having sex with the man um, are like the perfect placement for that just in general. But, you know, are we supposed to believe that like by giving the man CPR at the, you know, in the hospital, she like all of her like anxiety and fears and whatever, like just uh, made her actually like kill him by accident. Like regardless that, that I, that's my one gripe. I'd like to know exactly what happened at the hospital. Um, however, I have a lot of likes for this movie. I, I really love this movie. Um, and what I liked the most was that Jamie mentioned it, that on first viewing, I was kind of caught up in the religious narrative, the plot. But on second viewing, I, I exclusively and definitively see this movie about the repression of sexual desires and how it's handled by two people. 
Um, to me, this movie reads as that she is a closeted or a repressed lesbian or bisexual or pansexual. Um, um, and, and, and always kind of like kept that under wraps or whatever has, you know, goes out, tries to fill her desire, tries to erase those feelings by having sex with men. Um, and, and essentially finds God in order to repress those things. But then she's trying to save people. And, um, you know, she has this electric connection or she perceives it with Amanda when she describes being filled up with God as an orgasm, essentially. Um, when she is, when is she, when she's praying with Amanda, she imagines stretching her. She imagines their hands touching. Um, you know, after that moment, um, after that, uh, when she calls her my little savior for the first time, um, she's walking up the stairs and you have that pulsating lights, the electricity score and her, the, the static sound effect. Like it's like really like influencing her. And so when she tells the girlfriend to leave, um, and never come back, you know, do we see that as with Carol, when do we see that as protection? Do we see that as jealousy? You know, like, I, I think both, I think maybe, but I just think that like it flows through also when joy gives her her phone number she smiles she or she has a little smirk that like she's making connection with somebody else like and then when she comes over there's that moment when they get really close and they you think they're gonna kiss but she kisses her cheek and to me that's the decision you know there are all these horror movies like where have you seen creep nikisha so there are a lot of, you know, horror movies have one moment where a character can leave or continue on, like make the right choice or the poor choice. And to me, that was the moment when she kisses her on the cheek, as opposed to like expressing herself and kissing her on the mouth. Like that was her choosing that pathway. And the way that she sees the world into me is... um and and she also self-harms when she's overcome with desire. Every time she has this moment with Amanda, she goes to the stove, she burns herself. Like things like that. She leans on her knees when she get, you know, and, and on the on the popcorn kernels and things like that. Um so that that's kind of how I saw this. Also, you know, to her, that feeling of God, that orgasm is bigger than anything else. So you have that like split second of the special effect of her mouth getting too big and her eyes getting Ugh. too big. I don't like bri- that. I don't I like know. big mouths. I know you don't like big mouths, but like <laughs> you have those moments there, which I found like super, super fascinating that like they threw those in. Um, and when it comes to the puking and the fireworks, I think she sees that as a sign, but like probably she was just puking from drinking too much. And maybe mm-hmm. there were fireworks outside. And she, again, the, the quote that Jamie said, um, no one sees what they want to. And like, she's seeing all the things that she wants to see when the, when the cross slides off of the dresser. Um, and that's when she kind of decides to like, um, have a relapse essentially, or doesn't decide, but has a relapse, you know, like, that could have easily just slipped off because she placed it wrong or whatnot. But she sees that as a sign as like she has failed God. And I just think that all of this together tied together is one of the more compelling movies that I've like seen in a long time. And this was my second viewing, obviously, as I mentioned. Um, But um, I really like that. I like that. We never really 100% confirmed that it's the new nurse. We just assume that it's the new nurse. 
Cause like you can't really tell from that far away if that's the if Amanda or not in the wheelchair. Um, but it doesn't matter because she's she suggested going outside the house and then she said no, and now the new nurse is taking her outside the house or taking someone outside the house. I also like that the the new nurse said that she has choir practice. So the, the assumption is that she's a godly person, but like she's not enough godly because she doesn't have the same respect for like Amanda and dying people that like that Maud thinks that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I also like that all the details of this movie add to an eerie nature, the old scissors, the broken down flat, a seaside town that feels like it's at the end of the world um, with like the, the lights and the casino. So you have this like house on the hill that is like very like, you know, you know, uh, uh, distance from all the like, hedonistic sinful things there's a casino there's the Mm. bars there's the lights all that stuff i like that juxtaposition um and uh, i like that the god that she hears is speaking in welsh not latin not italian Mm -hmm. not middle eastern like sanskrit or whatever It, it 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 hears the welsh that like she potentially grew up with or or whatnot i thought that was interesting again you 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 don't see no one sees what they don't want to see like that type of thing you hear what you want to hear um um yeah i i just i just think this is this is a spectacular movie and I want Rose Glass to do more things because I'm addicted to how she tells a story. I think it's I think this is one of the better A24 movies. This this is a top 10 A24 movie for me. Horror mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Like justice for uh Rose Glass. Like who do you got to talk to to give her more money to do things because I'm sure she has so many more ideas. Yeah. Uh, this was spectacular. Fantastic. Anyone have anything else they want to add before we move on? Um I have I have questions for you. I have one question for you. Um I don't know the answer to this. They focus a lot on her stomach, and those are either stretch marks or mutilations. I think mm-hmm. mutilations. Okay. Like self-harm. Yeah, I just wanted to confirm that um, because I wasn't totally sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it, they they were scars. But then doesn't she make that, and she makes a comment about the, um, like, God, do I have, like, ulcers or, like, cancer or oh. something? When Remember she when she like, like has the stomach pains, the, the yeah before she goes, you know, I saw so. that's interesting because I I saw that as just as like you make yourself sick, like when something bad happens mm-hmm. to you, your anxiety like it makes like like when you feel like you failed yourself or or whatnot, like. I mean, I'll speak for myself. Like when I feel like I've disappointed somebody, even if it's not true, even if it's just my anxiety telling me that I disappointed somebody, I feel it in my stomach and my chest. And like, and like it, I almost like get sick, like because I've like run myself wild internally. So like, I'm, I'm just applying that to the situation that that could also be an option too. I mean, I also think about, you know, like anxiety poops, like that's a thing. Too. Like you get so worked up that your bowels are, are moving and you, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I mean, that, that is real for yeah. me as someone who has anxiety mm-hmm. and gets yourself so worked up that your bladder is like, all right, no, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you just like, you gotta, you gotta dump it out. Like literally. <laughs> Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Everybody yeah. poops. <laughs> <laughs> Great dude. Fantastic. So should we move on to brains? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Fantastic. One serving of brains, please. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's the concussion, y'all. So. <laughs> so my first question is uh, just about Maud in general. Like, what are we diagnosing her as? What does the DSM say? Five, uh, number five, say about her because... We see her having convulsions. We see her self-harming herself. She's having hallucinations as, you know, the unreliable narrator of it all. And, um, yeah, I just want to know, and and probably PTSD from, like, the patient that she had before. So my question is, like, with all that information and probably more that you've noticed, Jamie, what do you think uh, we can diagnose Maud with? Oh, man, this is super hard because... There's like a lot of things going on. Um, I was for a bit, I was going back and forth between um, bipolar disorder. So like that's uh, characterized by episodes of both depression and mania or hyper, uh, hyper, uh, hypo mania. Um, And mania is usually this like elevated euphoric, like sometimes irritable mood. And depression is the opposite, those like bouts of like low hopelessness, things like that. But then we have a lot of what feels like psychotic symptoms, like are these hallucinations that she's having, her her like her belief about potentially being a savior and like speaking to God, um, are those delusions that she's having? So that then kind of pushed me towards this other diagnosis, which is called schizoaffective disorder. And that's, that's <laughs> Nikisha's looking at me like a yes. new thing I have not heard before. I have not heard this. I'm so curious now. Wow. So schizoaffective is, uh, is it's like the, my, the best way that I can describe this is like, it has symptoms that are kind of like includes both the mania from like a typical bipolar diagnosis. Um, but it also has the psychotic features as well. And so it kind of encompasses both. Um, and the reason why I was thinking that is because like, there are moments that I kind of feel like Maud is manic and then she also has these bouts of like severe depression where like her apartment looks like shit. She's not cleaning up after herself. Like she's so low. Um, and then also you have like the, the hallucinations, like whether or not these conversations that she thinks she's having, we don't know if she's having them or not. Um, you know, seeing Amanda turn into like someone possessed by Satan at the end I don't know if that's really what's happening there. Even just like her relate, like her, her closeness to God, um, like just her spiritual beliefs, like, in, and this is also to say, like, if you have spiritual beliefs, that is not a psychotic symptom. However, if you believe that like you might have some, like, like you might be an angel, um, like then that might be teetering into something else. So like, I think her, the way that she is kind of like viewing herself as, as like a savior or even as a saint herself, like whatever, whatever's going on, like doesn't seem grounded in reality. So that's kind of, that's what I was thinking. And I, and it's hard also because like Nikisha, you even mentioned the, the trauma that she experienced of 
accidentally killing a patient is what we think happened and like what then happened there. But like, there's so much about, I, my guess is she was engaging in a lot of behaviors, perhaps not rooted in like the religious, spiritual faith stuff, but just like her inability to connect with other people. Um, I'm assuming that she also probably still had like bouts of depression. It sounds like she drank a lot. Um, like all of those things, again, I'm, I can only speculate, but like, I'm sure that there was probably a lot of pre-existing things that then, you know, losing, both losing her, her nursing job by virtue of like accidentally killing someone. Um, I think all of that just like culminated in her symptoms, like being exacerbated. Um, so, but I think that like there, there had to have been something going on even before, like she ended up in this role, which we don't get, but that's kind of what my thoughts are. I I actually have a question. And can you say that phrase? I mean, that diagnosis. Yeah. Say it again. Schizoaffective disorder. Okay. Sorry, Brian, I cut you off. What were you saying? Oh no, it's okay. Um, um, essentially I, I have a question for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. my question is, I forgot when she, when joy calls for her, joy, like randomly sees her on the street. Joy says, Katie, Katie goes over. She tells her that she's working in private care. Um, um, and joy says, Oh, her first thing that she says is, Oh, um, do they know what happened at the hospital? Because also there are clues in the movie that that hospital is like not a sanitary place. It's a very rundown place. It's a garbage place. Probably has many abandoned wings as Jamie and I learned that a lot, like every horror movie with a hospital has an abandoned wing. Like why, why, um, even that we were, game I played, the yeah. the fall of porcupine. I, I played a game recently where you're a doctor in a hospital, and there was an abandoned wing in that hospital. Yeah, we we watched uh, Deborah. <laughs> That's Logan crazy. Today. We watched Deborah <laughs> Logan today to prepare for our next episode, and um, it had an abandoned wing. We, Why? we were like, what? <laughs> um, but going going back to my question is, she says, does do they know what happened at the other job? Essentially. Um, do you think that the service actually knew what had happened? I, I, I have it's a hard, hard to time. say. Yeah. Like I have a really hard time believing that there's no way that they don't know because like, I guess my thought just thinking about it from like a license perspective and, and this, obviously they have their own ways of like having licenses, but like if something like that happened, there's going to be an investigation and like, it's going to be tied to your name and your license. So I have, I mean, I guess she has this new name that she's going by, but like, she still probably needs to have a license tied to whatever name they're giving her or whatever name she's giving herself rather. So like, I feel like it's really hard to, to say that they definitively don't know or that she somehow was able to conceal this, but like, Again, we're only we're not really getting reality. So, like, who really knows what's going yeah, on? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Nikki, show you were going to say something. No, I, I was just going to say I agree with with Jamie because the only thing that I would think of is that she changed her name. But I don't know. I think that 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 actually reminds me when she's sitting in the corner at the beginning. Very, this is kind of unrelated, but when she's sitting in the corner in the beginning and she looks up and she sees like the cockroach in the corner, like. 
she sees herself as that she's the one in the corner and like rethinking her entire life in that moment. She looks up and she sees a cockroach and she probably associates herself with that because that cockroach is like, like literally the mirror image of her up, but like it's a cockroach and there she is with her bloody hands and like the cadaver on the the table. Um, I just thought that was a nice juxtaposition or interesting, you know, visual juxtaposition. Um, you know, and, and like if something that terrible or tragic or, or, or traumatic happened at the hospital like it i guess that's a gripe like they would i or, or it's not a gripe because we they may know like she may be telling the truth like oh they know but like it doesn't matter because they need people to take care of other people you know what i mean i don't i don't know maybe it's saying something about the healthcare you know system as well but not as you know strong as it is other themes in this movie mm-hmm. anyway i just was curious that that came to my mind um back to you brains yeah <laughs> So my next question is more about um, toxic positivity of the moment when I had to comfort Amanda and say there's life after this. Um, And so I just want to know your thoughts about toxic positivity and like how that can be damaging, kind of spewing, you know, harmful rhetoric to people with like terminal illnesses and like, what's a better way to comfort someone as opposed to saying like, Oh, it's going to be better on the other side. I mean, like they have a terminal illness and you don't, and you're telling them like, it's going to be okay. Like you're not experiencing the things that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think like, especially in this context, it just feels super like dismissive, but I also think more so it's not, it's not grounded in like whatever way, Amanda is thinking about herself and like her process and you know what she needs like again it's it's super selfish like it's just Maud's perception and like her belief system that she feels like is superior to the way that Amanda is operating and living her life and so she's like you know inserting herself and her beliefs and it it's not affirming, it's not validating. It's just like shutting down the the pain and the distress and the frustration and like all of the other things that are are coming up for her. Or even just like, you know, she doesn't want to think about the, like she doesn't want to think, it, she says like, I don't like thinking about these disturbing things or something like that. Like she doesn't want to be thinking that like her pain is serving some some greater good as Maude is like saying that it is. And, and like, that's just not a, like their, their belief systems are not aligned. And so I think like, and then kind of more generally, I feel like toxic positivity again is not, it's not validating. Like when people are in pain, it's, it's kind of just like this bullish approach to, to shut down any, any real experiences that people are having, even if those experiences are like, not happy, but like, that's part of being human is that like, we have these real experiences. Things are not always going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time, as much as we want it to be. Um, so like not allowing people to express that stirs up a lot of frustration and and pain for them. And like, just isn't a friendly thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly with it. It's just very hard to, because some people think that they're um, doing a good service in saying these things that could be that they think are comforting to the other person. But like you said, Amanda said she doesn't want to think about these kinds of things. So why would you then in turn, like keep bringing, bringing that up? Like she's already dealing with a lot and mm-hmm. she's just, you know, 
trying to enjoy her life how she wants to enjoy it before, you know, she's gone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, do you, do we have time for one? Do we want to do one more? Do we want to go to Rotten Tomato? Tom- Tom- yeah, I can't see. Absolutely. <laughs> we can totally do one more if you have a question. Okay. Um, this is more of a generalized thing. And I know we always talk about just like going to therapy, uh, <laughs> for everything, but if you could, Jamie, just kind of talk about healthier ways that one can start over from traumatic events. And I'm just thinking about mod after the whole uh, hospital thing, even though we don't know exactly what mm-hmm. happened, like it doesn't seem like she has fully processed what has happened because she's having flashbacks mm-hmm. and acting out. Um, so what are some better or some more healthier, or sorry, ways that someone can kind of like uh, process traumatic events and move forward? Yeah, I think part of it is actually like acknowledging it because I don't think that really in any of this we're seeing, and and again, maybe she has, but like, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like she's yet able to like kind of, and, and part of it I think is like, because it's so disturbing to think about, but like, there doesn't seem to be any attempt to kind of sit with what happened. And like, it's coming up in these like really intense flashbacks that are like very disturbing to her. But then she's not really, like, she's ignoring them. She's avoiding it, um, which, like, that's that's part of what, like, our brains want to do. But it also prolongs some of that pain um, because we're not, we're, we're not dealing with it. Um, even if our brains are like, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this ever. Shut it down. Make it stop. Like, and and we we might be like, yeah, I don't want to think about this. Like, that's bad. Why would I want to? Um, but again, like in terms of lessening the the pain and distress that comes from like flashbacks or that comes from the memory of that traumatic event, um, like therapy, um, like doing doing the work so that you're <laughs> able to like operate, especially if she's continuing to work in this field, right? Like, she, and she picked palliative care. Like out of all of the things that you could pick, you're picking working so closely with death after having recent, seemingly recently dealt with a death. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty wild mm. that she's continuing to, to work so closely with death, experiencing something so traumatic that's related to death. It's like, what is going on here? But like, even though she's, she is like faced with it on this level, she still like is disconnected from it. Like she, the focus is more on like saving, saving the soul before this person dies versus like helping her work through the fact that she is dying and what does that mean to her? And, and like, how can she offer her like the best last moments that she can? It's, it's like way, again, it's like way more selfish and, um, and less helpful, I think for both of them. I mean, again, therapy is the answer, but acknowledging (laughs) something that's happening at first, uh, is, is truly a first step that you can do on your own, you know, um, not just like you said, Jamie, just wanting to forget it, which a lot of people do. I, myself included, it's like, I don't want to keep hash, rehashing, you know, mm-hmm. traumatic events in my brain, but there's something in that, that allows you to be able to move through it as opposed to trying to like skip over it because mm-hmm. that's not going to be helpful. Grand. Well, should we go into rotten tomato? Let's go rotten into tomato. 
Rotten Tomatin. Let's do it. Uh, what do you think St. Maud has on Rotten Tomatoes? Um, Jamie? Mm, 89. Nikisha? Yeah, I was going to say 86. Uh, it has a 92. Ooh. That's great. A brilliantly unsettling blend of body horror and psychological thriller, St. Maud marks an impressive debut for writer-director Rose Glass. Yeah. Yeah. That, I don't think of this as body horror, but it absolutely is in some ways for sure. Mm-hmm. All the yeah. self-harm for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, however, the audience score for this is 66%. Wow. That's, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a big difference. That's a big gap. Yeah. And I'll speak for myself. This is the religious horror that I really like. I can give mm-hmm. or take an exorcism movie, you know, in terms of that type of religious horror. But like to me, St. Maud is a perfect religious horror film. Absolutely. Because the interpretation can be not just religious things, which is. Nice. Yeah. Totally. And, um, you know, it's, I like when character, I don't like it, but when characters use religion as excuses, like, I think that's a more interesting, compelling story than like the devil got him. You know, I, I just, just for my taste, um, the, day, you know, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil made me do a conjuring three. Um, yes. uh, but I love the conjuring. Don't get me wrong. Like I like exorcism movies and the exorcist and all that stuff. But like, I prefer something like this. Um, mm-hmm. on that note, Let's do the four S's. Yes. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horror's four S's. <laughs> so we've got skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestion. Skulls are, you know, we're going to rank one through ten. How does it handle mental health and human behavior? Um, two um, is scares. How scary was it? Ranking one to ten. Um, shakes. Um, how much can you shake it off? This is a one and done. Is this one going to last with you for a bit? Um, uh, that's one through 10. And then we'll give some suggestions for this. But Jamie, why don't you start us off with your uh, four S's? Sure. So I, for skulls, I gave this a seven. And I think I gave it such a high score, even though like what we might be getting isn't necessarily reality. Is like, I... I like fully am bought into Katie Maud's like the things like how she is acting in each situation and behaving her choices. Like she believes these things so strongly that like, I believe her decision-making. So like, I feel like because her character is like so effectively presented to us that like I had less issues with the things that she was doing even if like me outside of her I'm just like oh my god like you are not okay like this is a problem I still believe her belief of these things and participating in these things and like the choices that she made um so if that makes sense um for scares I gave this a five um because I think that like again it's a that like kind of slow burn anxiety that's building over time. Um, especially like on the second watch where I don't think that I was, I didn't remember there being as many jump scares. Um, however, that like single frame ending is so horrifying, um, that it really does like leave a, a 
an effect on you. Um, that being said, I gave Shakes a seven because um, I really enjoy this film. And I I feel like it's like a really underrated horror film, um, it, like contemporary horror that has come out recently. And like, I definitely think this should be on a lot of people's must-see lists. Nagisha. Yeah, so I also gave The Skulls a seven for the same reason uh, for Jamie because, yeah, her motivations were pure in her mind and it made and it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, scares, I gave it a four. Uh, that burning scene and and not just the the gore but just the tension. Um, so yeah, four for scares and then shakes. I gave it a six. It's definitely uh, something that I will rewatch with new eyes, especially after this conversation. Mm. Uh, but upon first watch, like it's a very solid uh, underrated horror film, as Jamie mentioned. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I am giving it a eight for skulls for the same reasons you two did. I'm giving it a five for scares, and I'm highlighting the. Um, fingernail kettle sequence that holds the tension where she's playing with her fingernails like that clicking noise with the tea kettle going really really spectacular um and for shakes this is this is a straight up nine for me i mean i i just think this knocks it out of the park i think it's i think it's a great great movie um yeah um also um something i didn't mention before that i'd like to mention is i thought the inclusion of the gift from will the william blake um art Mm. Um, to her mm-hmm. where like it's all of this religious art by somebody who doesn't believe in uh, organized religion but is more spiritual um, is just like thematically just a fascinating like character point as well as just overall you know um, supporting what this movie is or isn't trying to say um, I thought yeah. that was cool like um, that was great um, suggestions uh, Nikisha you may have already Spoiled your suggestion, um, but I'll let yes. you go first for this one. <laughs> well, I had two because the first one was Midnight Mass because of the the burning scene, but mm-hmm. also when she was uh, rising up off the ground. I don't know for some reason it just flashed me to Hereditary. So mm-hmm. I I just think that they have the same kind of um, sure. vibes with just kind of like following a deity of some kind and and all that stuff. So. And I'm asking hereditary for me. Excellent. Uh, Jamie. Those are great, Nikisha. Um, I yay! went. Yay! <laughs> um, yay! <laughs> I was thinking, like, what's another kind of like questionable narrator experiencing, like, I, yeah, basically that. Um, so I went with Black Swan. Oh, good one. Great one. So good. Love Black Swan. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that in a while. I know. Um, Me too. We should do that. Um, uh, Mine is the VVH, the witch. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I just, we're talking slow burn. um, Is what is happening actually happening? Is it not happening? Mm -hmm. You know, even though we are presented with something up front in the witch that makes you believe that these things are real, it still keeps you guessing back and forth. Um, And then uh, I I think, I I think that's, uh, that's, um, that would be a good two pack, if you will. Also one more unreliable narrator, but TV show is swarm because you don't know what is real 
what mm-hmm. isn't, and it is definitely all from her perspective, sure. um, all the way to the end. Uh, so, but you can, but you know that like, oh, this didn't really happen, you know, like sure, it's, sure. it's, it's great. So, um, swarm is awesome. Cool. Fantastic. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of St. Maud. Every time we do this and I'm like, let's wrap up. But I just think that talked about, and I was about to say VVH. I don't know <laughs> what that is, but you can follow us on all of the uh, Instagrams, on the Twitter, on the TikToks. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, rate and review us there. Five stars, please. Thank and thank you. you. Fantastic. How do we want to end, guys? I think we have to end with the no one sees what they don't want to quote. Mm. Or God, what was the other one that she said to the man outside? Like, God, God bless you. God will not waste your pain when she gave him money. Yeah, yeah. They also say, snap out of it, honey. Or <laughs> nothing you do matters. Ooh. Oh, that was brutal. That was brutal. That's very hard. Nothing you yeah. do matters. Ooh. Or you're getting Intense. dangerously normal. Well, thanks guys for listening. I'm dead. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you.